Welcome to the Surrender Podcast. Surrender is a collective of Christian groups and organisations from across Australia. We work in unity to share Jesus' call to seek his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We create spaces for the sharing of stories that motivate, support and equip people to love their neighbour, share good news and live justly, both locally and globally. Please note, Surrender provides spaces for conversation and storytelling and does not necessarily endorse the personal views of any one presenter. Pastor Ray Minikin is a highly respected Indigenous pastor and leader. He is also director of Bunjil Consultancies, which supports Aboriginal leadership and business initiatives. This is Pastor Ray Minikin's Bible study, where he looks at how we think biblically about constitutional recognition of Australia's First Nations people. This is part three of Pastor Ray's Bible study. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. I'm going to try and just uh, uh, limit a lot of stuff today. I know we've covered a lot of territory, uh, and it's a big issue, a big, a huge, big task to actually talk about that kind of history and bring it into focus for our. Uh, contemporary situation because the issues that we're looking at here is just not only affects the Aboriginal people here in Australia it is a global issue and uh, if you can see it as a global challenge uh, you can see the role of the church within it but also perhaps see how you can influence the ways in which uh, or maybe even deeper than that you can see the purposes of God in his creation and the way he's uh, moving things around. And uh, it's always fascinating to me to see, you know, Rome do its thing, disobey God's commandments, and it ends up in Constantinople. So God moves the shifts the power, power systems to another city. And now it seems like today it's uh, it's... It's either London or New York, or London or Washington, in these global power plays that are taking place, or over there in Moscow. And we're seeing all of this stuff happening right before our eyes. I'm not into all that uh, prophetic stuff, but I like to observe. <laughs> and as Indigenous peoples, we've only been called into this particular global story in the last uh, 50 odd years almost 50 years anyway, since the re 1967 referendum. Before that, our only uh, news of this global situation has been the scriptures. And I can still hear my father preaching from the pulpit. You know, when Israel became a state, he's coming soon. Because <laughs> for him, and for a lot of those old Aboriginal leaders of that era, uh, before the 1967 referendum, that was their only introduction into how the world, or God's involvement in the whole planet rather than just in our own little community there and in the issues of, of injustice that we were facing at that time. And so this, what we're looking at here is not something new. It's there. Um, and it just depends on how you then start to um, unravel the mysteries or perhaps the cover-ups or as I like to see it, 
we've got a global crime scene here. <laughs> Let's put in our CSI suit and go and have a look and see what we can find, as well as in our own countries, as well as in our own communities, because every community is also a crime scene. And uh, there's been some huge big crimes committed against peoples right across the world. And I think what Jesus came to do is to try to liberate, from, liberate us from uh, those particular challenges. Today, um, we're going to look at, oops, just a review first, you know, we've still got that passage in Deuteronomy. That to me has been a real uh, basic foundation, foundational scripture as well as the one in Acts to help us to come to grips with these global matters. The story of Naboth, as we know, how power structures then try to take over other people's properties or lands and that. And uh, Naboth's response to the king, to the crown, to the sovereign was, you know, God forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And so his response brings us back into a very personal story, a very human story, but it also brings us back in line with, for me anyways, God's intent for all humanity, this word inheritance. <coughs> God forbid that I should give you my inheritance. And I'd encourage you to go and study that in terms of its uh, story and how it works and uh, how it plays out within our communities, in our own personal lives and in our families and uh, the ways in which land matters, not only to the individual but also to God. We looked also at Marbo and uh, that incredible uh, story in our own backyard here where this man went out to prove, God forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And he proved to the High Court of Australia, to the Crown, that the Crown did not have uh, total sovereignty over his country and over this land. We've also looked at how treaties were formed. Uh, and when he looked at the Cherokee Nation here, there's, there's so many other treaties, but just not only with Native Americans, but also with other, other uh, major nations. Um, I mean, we, we had a treaty up here with, uh, you know, we thought we had uh, West Papua as a part of our, uh, Australia's uh, responsibility. And then uh, we had the Indonesians invade uh, West Papua in 1967 and now we're seeing the incredible cultural as well as uh, pol political genocide of a people up there by this particular military and I was up there a number of years ago now uh, in West Papua right up in a little place called Wamana and the wherever we went because I was with a Jewish friend too and we was taken to a lot of the villages there wherever we went the military was there and uh, I was instructed by the locals there that not to be too radical, right? Uh, I can understand it from their perspective because if I do, it's not me who gets arrested. And so you have these political situations around the, around the planet there where people are still saying or crying the cry of Naboth, God forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors and they're willing to stand up and fight for that land, you know, what do we want? Land rights. Uh, so that's a cry from Naboth. 
and the Cherokee people. You've seen the Marshall decision, that's a very powerful decision. And uh, Marshall secularized this incredible theological argument from the, uh, from the Pope with the uh, doctrine of discovery those papal bulls that gave these nations the license under God to go and invade these countries, make slaves of Africans, make slaves of us, treat us as if we were nothing, tyrannulous. And so we've seen this particular martial decision there <coughs> put in play between uh, uh, among those that the uh, Piankishaw people there in, uh, in America. We looked at the Doctrine of Discovery, just very briefly, but hopefully it gives you enough insight into wanting to go and study this more yourself and understand the incredible uh, challenges that came out of Rome. This big thing that we call church. And we're all recipients of that particular church, especially in the West. And only recently, in my country here, I was introduced to the Coptic Church. Now that's the Egyptian Church. And uh, that's where Jesus was taken as a refugee. And they looked after him. Christians, they looked after him. And in this current <coughs> climate of refugee crisis, we need to go back to that story and remind our governments and those in power that we need to look after refugees. That's our responsibility. And so we've seen those particular, uh, that, that particular story as well in the ways in which we look at these, these, these particular matters. Um, I'm beating up the track here a bit. But just to remember that we've gone through all this constitutional, going through this constitutional rec recognition. This is our current discussion and uh, I think associated with that if I was to put on my uh, hat into the future a little bit and, and, and see where we're heading what will be my what will my uh, grandchildren be discussing or the national conversation will be around that uh, in their era it will probably be around the issue of the republic when Australia becomes a republic but it's not really something that we talk about right now because we don't think it's necessary. And so we're living in a political cycle that only takes three years and every three years or four years we change our governments and then we have a different conversation about different things. And these particular issues get sidelined a lot. And so we need to be very conscious of how the political system works so that issues like land rights and stuff doesn't get sidelined. And if there was one other issue here that we didn't really talk about, but it's the heart of all of this, and that is that right to self-determination. Under God, that we have the right to determine our own future. So today I'm gonna to look at two things. One, we have to look at our constitution just to tidy up that doctrine of discovery and from where constitutional recognition. And I just wanna make a comparison between uh, our, our constitution, just in its preamble anyways, and another constitution, to see when people are saying we want a treaty, how challenging that is, okay? It's easy to say, very simple. 
And as we saw in the Cherokee situation, they did have a wonderful treaty, but 46 years later, that treaty was broken and they were, you now the Trail of Tears happened. Not just for them, but for a whole heap of other Native American groups and they ended up in Oklahoma, right away from their country. Um, and so too did many other nation groups, including here in Australia, when you look in, in, in my country, my grandmother was taken out of there. And if, if you look, go into Yarrabah, for example, a lot of my Cubby Cubby people you'll find in Cairns, in Yarrabah, in that Yarrabah mission. And a lot of the people from the north were taken down and put into Warabinda, Rockhampton there. And we've had this dislocation of our peoples. And uh, the only good thing I think that came out of native title is that we started to look at our family histories again and reconnected back to our past. Uh, in terms of land rights, native title is not land rights, never will be, never can be, because it's a recognition of a title to land within the Crown Law system. Once again, we looked at Habakkuk's little comment, complaint. Remember that? Justice is a joke. I think uh, Socrates might have taken a, a leaf out of Habakkuk's book and out of this dialogue because if you read the dialogue in, in the Republic, Socrates' Republic, there was one character in that that I, I really had a deep affinity with, and his name was Thrasymachus. It's in the first book there. And Thrasymachus came up to Socrates one day, and he says, you know, when they're talking about what is justice? And Thrasymachus said, justice is only for the interests of the powerful. That's Thrasymachus' argument. And uh, out of that particular discussion then, uh, Socrates tried to work through all of those arguments to try to form what we now know as or call democracy. And so it, it found its seeds in that particular story. But here's Habakkuk and his story. <coughs> Treaty now. First of all, this is the preamble to the Constitution of Australia, 1900. This is the only mention of God in the Constitution. In the second line there, on the blessings of Almighty God have agreed to unite one indissoluble federal commonwealth under the crown of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland and under the Constitution hereby established. And uh, down further in this particular document too, you'll also find that uh, New Zealand is included in this particular document. I won't read all of that. You can read through it. This you can find <laughs> and download it. Be it therefore enacted by the Queen's Most Excellent Majesty uh, by and with the advice and consent of the Lords Spiritual and Temporal the com and Commons in this present Parliament assembled and by the authority of the same as follows. Remember that this had to have a foreign powers authority 
to form something in my, my land, in my country. Remember that. Keep that in the back of your mind. When we're talking about treaty, we have to take into consideration these much more bigger historical complexities that impact upon the ways in which we talk about the issue of treaty in this country. Who are we making a treaty with? This is the power. This is the trinity of the power, power of the Australian government right now. The legislative power of the Commonwealth shall be vested in a federal parliament which will consist of the Queen, a Senate and a House of Representatives, and which is hereinafter called the Parliament or the Parliament of the Commonwealth. The second person who is more pow as powerful, who's the Queen's representative here in Australia, is the Governor-General. And the Governor-General is appointed by the Queen, shall be Her Majesty's representative in the Commonwealth, and shall have and may exercise in the Commonwealth during the Queen's pleasure, but subject to this Constitution, such powers and functions of the Queen as Her Majesty may be pleased to assign. So remember that. You see the complexities as it folds out, the powers that be that control the ways in which we operate in this country, or how we're governed in this country, are governed by this particular constitution here. And so in every state in Australia, if you go to Queensland or even New South Wales, we have a governor. Now there's the governor general who sits at the, at the uh, uh, federal level, but every state also has a representative of the queen. And she has, or that particular person, that particular person has a very, very powerful influence over the ways in which government operates. You'll remember the, uh, how, how one of our great leaders got kicked out of office. What was his name? One of our great prime ministers, and yet was the Governor General who override all of our, our democratic rights and says, you're out. Because he's the Queen's representative. Remember that. Now when you see this particular uh, constitution, I want to make a comparison because there's a lot of things that are missing in this constitution which we don't even ask questions about. We just take it as a given. One of those things is this, and it's, it's found in the new South African constitution. This is the preamble to it. I love that first three words. We the people. That's not in our constitution. It's in the American constitution, but it's not in ours. We the people. When I go back into that constitutional powers there, it's we the Queen and the Parliament of Australia. It's not we the people. So you can't call this a true democracy. We vote for the political parties we want to actually govern us, but they too are governed by the Queen. So you need to understand the powers that works within your own country here. We, the people of South Africa, recognise the injustices of our past, honour those who suffered for injustice and freedom in our land. 
respect those who have worked to build and develop our country and believe that South Africa belongs to all who live in it, united in our diversity. We therefore, through our freely elected representatives, adopt this constitution as the supreme law of the Republic so as to heal the divisions of the past and establish a society based on democratic values, social justice and fundamental human rights. Lay the foundations for a democratic and open society in which government is based on the will of the people and every citizen e is equally protected by law. Improve the quality of life of all citizens and free the potential of each person and build a united and democratic South Africa able to take its rightful place as a sovereign state in the family of nations. May God protect our people. That's not in our constitution. But doesn't it give you the goosebumps to feel that that could be a part of who we are as, as a new Australia? And that's what I'm saying, before, saying again to you is that if you want King Charlie after the Queen dies, then that's what we will continue that old constitution. But if we want a free and democratic community or, or a, a nation, then perhaps this is one of the models that we should be looking at and studying as a people, because it starts with we the people, not the Prime Minister, not the Governor General, not the Queen. And so when we're talking treaty, we need to understand that we need to have a look at some of the ingredients that we want in a new constitution. And following on from that, some of the four provisions that it gives, the Republic of South Africa is one sovereign democratic state founded on the following values. Human dignity, non-racism and non-sexism, supremacy of the constitution and the rule of law, universal adult suffrage, a national common voters role, regular elections and a multi-party system of democratic government to ensure accountability, responsiveness and openness. The other, the other constitution that I, I studied a, a little bit, I mean I studied a number of other, other uh, countries as well, but one of the ones that fascinated me the most was the Republic of Switzerland. Because Switzerland is really one of those countries that has a very good, strong democratic governance. It has 150 different cantons and they all have to agree. It's the reasons why they didn't get into World War II. They remained a peaceful country because of the ways in which their structures and systems work. And so they didn't have our two-party preferred system, for example. It's a completely different system of democracy. And so we need to think about that as well, as to how we set up the kind of democratic systems we want. And as I say to <coughs> our Aboriginal people here, who can represent the Gubby Gubby people at that federal level? Who would I give my permission to? And my sister here from South Australia be saying so the same thing. Would she elect me? <laughs> would I elect her? You know, these, these are really, really critical issues when we're talking about these issues of treaty. So when I, when I hear that word, what do we want? We want a treaty. So what do you mean? What are you talking about? Is it something like, like the Cherokee had? 
or it's something deeper and meaningful? And what is the language around which, in which would we frame that treaty? So I'll leave those kind of those thoughts with you. But at, I mean, for me personally, this is my own personal. I I I've got five things that I'd like to see, and we need a new one. With we the people. That's just me. <laughs> I'd like to see a reduction in military spending. I mean, there's one country in South South America. It's Costa Rica. I'm not quite sure which one it is now. Who's which one? Costa Rica. Costa Rica sold all their military equipment and spent it on their environment. That's brains. That's intelligence. Whereas we just uh, outlaid, what, $50 billion? And $2 billion of that is to buy a submarine or something? Now, I don't know how you can catch a terrorist with a submarine. <laughs> but we're willing to spend that kind of money. This is our politicians. That's what I'm saying, we the people in Australia, it's a joke. Because we're, part, we're, we're voting for a two-party preferred system. And for me, that's one of the major issues that we've got to get rid of, the two-party preferred system. Because it's a failure. It's failed in America, it's failed in Britain, it's failed here. Because it doesn't represent the real issues of the of the of the community. So, think about the systems of government we we're currently being uh, uh, governed by and under, whether it's the federal level, even at the state level. We're the most overgoverned people on the planet, really, when you think about it, because we've got what eight states, territories. Everyone's got their own little dictators in it, and their own agendas, and then you've got local government as well. We're that much governed. And then on top of that, one of the most powerful machines in the country is our media. And they actually drive the agenda of how this country operates. And we need to be conscious of those kind of things. So when we're talking about treaty, we have to take into consideration all of these kind of bigger, bigger issues and bigger matters in order to do that. Now, at a grassroots level, I can have our cubby cubby people can have a treaty with you mob and with uh, my sister girl over here from the Waka Waka because that's my neighbour. We can have that. And that's easy. But when it comes to these bigger national issues that we're all talking about, it's going to take a little bit more. I'd like to see our environment protected a lot more. I'd like to see our cultural law recognised and respected. I'd like to see the removal of all of our state governments. <laughs> It would force us to, to think of different systems, like the, like the for example, the, um, uh, the, Swiss, the Swiss system, where you've, even if we went down to the local government and made those the, the cantons of Australia, because the local government is much more close to the people, and they do a lot of much more services than the state governments. And uh, it would be better if we just had the, you know, the feds and the, and the local government, and just get rid of the middleman. Um, that's in my thinking anyways. I'm not, I'm not trying to influence you or anything. I want you to think about these matters and see how 
this country could be better, better serviced. Um, and it, it will need, for example, a good change in constitution. Where is we the people in all of that? Okay, finish that now. No more questions on treaty? You know, I, I, I often wonder that, you know, because you, you should have sent over here as convicts. Yeah. They didn't want you in the first place. <laughs> you know? And then you just come over here and you make this wonderful country, and you, but you still want your, you know, your queen. I mean... The projection issue. Oh. Uh, <laughs> 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 and we're dragged into that as Aboriginal people. <laughs> Although, if you compare, I mean, the, the pilgrims went to America, and as I speak to some of our Native American friends, they got the pilgrims, we got the prisoners, but the result was the same. And so, <laughs> you know, to me, we're looking at all these historical factors. It's like a tsunami that's come to come upon this particular generation in a global community and we're, we're trying to work these things out whether it's North Korea or, or, or China or these other ones here trying to figure out how do we live together on this planet together and it comes back to a lot of these issues of treaties and stuff. Well, you know, just to confirm what you're saying about the Swiss model, um, I know about the Finland model, and what I want to explain to my fellow Australians is that when you vote for someone in your, your electorate, you're not voting for a party, you're voting for what that person And that's we the people, isn't it? Yes. It's more, more closer to that yes. model of, yes. of that ideology of we and the people. And it just makes so much sense. Yeah. So much sense. And, and those countries that she's talking about there have got the best educational system, yes. the best health yes. health care, totally. Totally. <laughs> best welfare free system. For everybody, and oh. their taxes are, are fairer for everybody too. They're strong, you know, they're high, but they're fairer. And one of those countries too, uh, which I'd love to live there, even if you were out of a job, they will the government will pay you your yes. salary until you find one. Yes. You don't go on welfare. Yes. They pay you. Yes. Totally, totally. That's civilization. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 uh, another thing that we have, sorry. You're going Japanaga. Uh, Japanaga. Yeah. You, yeah. me, yeah. Why, you know, why there's a lot of problems in our area is we have to have the people who can speak language. That's missing a lot because English is turned around in so many areas that a lot of people don't understand. 
this is where the problem is, the language. Big, big, big. Hmm. Languages, so hmm. you get the right people in there. We have hmm. always been washed out by hmm. government. I'll do this and that, but all the promises is gone. Because it goes into party politics. Yes, that's it. We need to have our own. Hmm. And there might we be the... I mean, in, in our country, the person that, I, that we thought had a, a lot of good things to add to the political processes was Peter Garrett. Mm -hmm. yes. But he got inside the machine and the machine just ate him up. Yeah. Mm. Actually, there's a good book by uh, uh, an American author back in the 1920s, 1924. You should read her uh, because she was one of those critics of the American two-party preferred systems. He says, the two-party preferred system is dead. We've got to think of a new way of democracy. Her name was Mary Follett Parker, wrote in the 1920s. Well, thirdly, if he could play the cards right, become the first pri Aboriginal Prime Minister. <laughs> but you, you see, we, we, you look, look at America again. You've got the first black president, but he's hamstrung by the two-party preferred system. He can't do anything. They hold him back. All of these good policies, but... <laughs> and the system is, you, you've got to change the system. Just on that issue of language, like, was it last week or the week before, there was the Northern Territory um, Indigenous member who was censured for speaking language in Parliament. That's right, yeah. I find that appalling that oh. in 2016 we'd have someone sent out because they spoke language. We the people, brother, we need a yeah. big change here. <laughs> and I'm not one of those ones to advocate for that kind of radicalness. I'm just only here to inform you. <laughs> <laughs> we might have the government in here, ASIO. <laughs> I want to get on shortly. Yes, Auntie? Yeah, there is power in, in that, in yeah. get coming together and doing yeah. that, yeah. And yeah. they took it back to the government oh. and the funding got reinstated. Can I move on? Oh, sorry.
No, this is this is from Mandela. Because ours says we the people, hmm. but it was written during slavery. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so Good point. It, it matters, right? The That's hmm. why I was asking. Hmm. Hmm. It, it does matter, and I mean, yeah, if you follow through on the story of the, uh, you know, the African American people, that was the catch cry: we the people. It's in the Constitution. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get to the Bible. Trying to get to the Bible. going to put that up there but I thought I'd better not confuse us <laughs> too much <laughs> yeah um, I, I think we as Aboriginal people need to come together ourselves first and make treaties amongst ourselves that's that's for us as starting point I, I like when I went to the last uh, talking to Michael Anderson uh, at the last sovereignty conference that he you know he uses the term sovereign union um, and uh, he used the term down there of, of us becoming a republic of Aboriginal nations. Mm. And that sort of resonates with me because we can do that mm. as Aboriginal people. So, so I can have a better relationship politically with my Walbury brothers and I'm a Jumba Jumba and he's a uh, jungler over here, Dapanungra. We can have a much more deeper relationship outside of the political boundaries of the Walpree Nation and we would need to work through that and that's why I'm, I'm really excited when uh, these, these particular matters uh, are, are discussed in that particular field. Just one thing I will mention but, and this is one of the major challenges of the, the recent moves by Jeremy up in Cairns and, uh, and Michael is that when the Mabo decision was handed down, the Murray Islander people went out and said, oh, we can become a sovereign nation now. Get up and do our own thing. And as they were talking about this matter and getting all excited, an old lady put up her hand and says, well, what about my pension? What about my pension? And so it sort of deepened the conversation to saying, okay, what currency are we going to use? Who's going to look after our pensioners? Who's going to look after our health system? Who's going to, how are we going to pay for our education? How am I going to pay my rent next week <laughs> if they take away my pension? So there's other issues around this particular trading process that we need to be fully cognizant of. We just can't walk into it blindly and work through it so that we know exactly what we're going to leave our children because in a sense they're going to inherit from us what we leave for them uh, through this particular discussion and dialogue. Now let's get into Jesus, eh? <laughs> Did Jesus believe in land rights? We go back to the story of Job. 
Let me just leave it there first because I've got to tell the story. Job. In the first chapter of Job, you have this particular conversation going on as the writer explains that God and Satan got together and they, had this, they were having this particular discussion, you know, God. And um, God says to, says to Satan, he says, have you seen my servant Job down there? He's the most righteous man in all the earth. And in the next chapter, Job loses everything. You know, he's a rich man. He's like Trump. He's a billionaire. <laughs> and in one chapter, he loses everything. His camels, his house, his children. All of his riches are gone. And the last picture you see in chapter 2 there of Job, he's sitting in the burnt out ashes of his ranch house his billionaire mansion, and he's scratching these sores on him with a bit of cow manure. Now that's a righteous man. That's how God treats a righteous man. His missus comes up to him, and she said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says to the missus, look, missus, you're talking like a foolish woman. The Lord gives the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job sinned not. We'd love to see that happen to Trump, wouldn't we? <laughs> or any other rich person. Well, actually, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to see it happen to any rich person, even including Trump. That kind of judgment, because... We now, in this particular age, we can look at this story and see the background to it. And if there is a bit of a preaching that I'd give, give to you today is that sometimes in our work for the Lord in our communities and in our work, we don't know what's going on behind in the background there in terms of what uh, God and all the other invisible forces are doing. We don't know what God allows and doesn't allow. But if he was to destroy everything, all the things that we love, and leave us with nothing, would we respond with that kind of maturity? <laughs> the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or would we go deep spiraling into our own deep depressions and say, God, you've abandoned us. So I'll leave that little sermonette with you <laughs> as a as a takeaway cost you nothing <laughs> but this story is very powerful in another way because when you go on from this particular issue and all of his friends come around him they're starting to debate this issue of what is true justice and they're bringing all these different arguments and they're saying you know oh, God is too wise to do this you must have done something wrong Job Remember, God said he's a righteous man and he allowed all this to happen. And so as they were discussing it and they came to the end of their discussions, it's, it's a very powerful uh, dialogue. And at the end of it, God turns up in a big whirlwind. And this is what he says. Job, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? 
pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. Question number one. Where were you when I created the earth? Question number two. Tell me, since you know so much, who decided on its size? <laughs> Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprint and the measurements? How was its foundations poured? With concrete, of course, Lord. And who set the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise. And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it, a strong playpen, so it couldn't run loose and said, Stay here. This is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. In all of these pains and all these discussions and all of these dialogues about all of these things, where did God take him? Back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. And if there's one uh, very powerful part of the indigenous philosophy, processes, practices, uh, we're not what you would call people who look into the future this way. We're people who, we, we walk backwards into the future. Because we want to see where we come from. We want to maintain our connections to where, we, where, we, where we've been. There's a very important part of our, our culture is we walk backwards into the future. The moment we turn our back on our future, on, on our past, we're lost. A lot of our young kids are like that. They've turned their back. And one of the challenges for us to do is just to turn our children backwards. You know. Walk backwards now. Come with us. That's what our old people are always saying. Our old people are always teaching us that. Don't turn your back on your past. Walk backwards into the future. Know where you come from. See all those mistakes that have been made. Oh yeah, back there, that was the doctrine of discovery. Oh, he made that. This is why we're here today. Walk backwards into the future. Now, we live in a society and a politi politic that has a three-year or four-year planning cycle. The other big issue or the other big uh, part of our cultural uh, uh, um, philosophy is that um, I'm actually in my own old cultural ways and in my, in my cultural ways, I am a great, great grandfather right now. And I have to act as, a, as that. So is my children. They're great, great, great grandparents. Because in our philosophy, in our planning, the ways in which we plan or think strategically, we have that seven generational principle in operation all the time. So we're drawing off for our fathers, our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers in order to make a decision not about ourselves mm. but what, how it's going to affect our great-great-grandchildren. Seven, three generations now. You see, so we live in that all the time. That's why we get frustrated, sis. That's what's driving us crazy because we can't exercise our own cultural ways of doing things. 
That's why this land has always been preserved like it was. Because we knew if we did this, if we mowed this tree down here, then this is going to happen. That's why we got together and had all these big powwows for months on end. <laughs> Until everybody, we the people, made a decision. And so we always do that. We walk backwards into the future. And we live in that seven generational principle. It drives us crazy when we have to deal with a politic that it can only plan for three years. And it's, it's even more complicated when the federal government does those kind of plans and then the state government does these kind of plans and then the local government does these kind of plans and we've got to try to fit into all of them. Mm. Drives you mad. Yeah. How do you practice self-determination and all that? I don't know. But that's, what we're, that's the mess that we're in at the moment. Uh, so just keep that in mind when we do that. The second thing is this. Might be the third or the fourth, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> As Aboriginal theologians, okay? Thank you. My wife is telling me don't trip over that. As Aboriginal theologians, or should I say, let me put it another way, Western theology mainly starts in Genesis 3 with sin and its consequences and a judging God. Indigenous theology doesn't start there. We start in Genesis 1. Bereshit Elohim. In the beginning, God. That's your starting point. Or that's our starting point. So, you know, we walk backwards into the future, but we know where we started from. <laughs> now, that... Bereshit Elohim, translated into English. We do have a problem with the, the language. It's, it's, you know, this, this English language is a really stupid language. We know that. I mean, you know, if I say to you, this is a good joint. <laughs> yeah, if you're a doctor, or if you're a carpenter, and I think those who laughed were probably those other ones. Because <laughs> this is a good joint. <laughs> and that's, that's our problem. We have to try to inter interpret what we mean by joint. <laughs> so in the beginning, that word in, uh, there's a whole different ways in which you could explore theologically that word in in the beginning. One way of looking at it is you could call, call it, call that, you could, you could interpret it this way, inside the beginning or within the beginning, inside that beginning you then enter into what I think uh, God is trying to say to Job. Where were you when I created the earth? inside that beginning point. It opens up a completely different world of understanding who God is. That should be our starting point. And for indigenous theologians, that's where we want to start, in, that, in the beginning, rather than you sinned, you've been a bad boy, you deserve punishment, and I'm going to punish you. 
Now, from inside the beginning, you can look at that story and you can see all the way through to, you know, from the garden to the city. And you're walking with him all the way through to the end. That's the starting point. So when we talk about Jesus and land rights, it's just an automatic. He's been there all the time. <laughs> and so when he came, he's, it's not even being radical about it, even though they crucified him for it. He was just naturally, automatically going back to the beginning and bringing back all things and restoring all things. That's the story of salvation, of redemption and everything. The sad thing is that Western theology narrowed it down to Genesis 3 and made us all sinners and that we have to come back to God. And like I said the other day there, you know, we have this problem amongst our communities that we've got so many denominations and evangelists coming into our communities there saving our people. We've been the most over-evangelized people on the planet. And I often ask them this question when they come amongst our people there and I say, well, look, I've got a theological problem. You're coming in here preaching the gospel to our people. I said, how many times do you have to be born again to be born again? Because when they come in there, our people go out the front, they get prayed for and all that. Next evangelist comes along, the same mob go out the front, get prayed for. Because this message has a guilt orientation in it all the time. It imprisons us. Thank you, Dar. And we have to break away from that. And that's why I'm saying to us, when we're talking about land rights, we're even talking about Jesus, we've got to go inside the beginning. Just like Job, God said to Job, I've got some questions for you, brother. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me since you know so much. This is my challenge to the church. Where was the church in all of this? Where is it? And so if we only go back to Genesis 3, we're losing the incredible purposes and the, perp and the will of God in the whole of creation rather than just in my own personal Amen. dilemmas. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Keep preaching it, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a Bible study. <laughs> so when you look at that, there's another indigenous theologian that uh, I love reading. And uh, he's, he's, he's just so brilliant that we're still read his stuff today. This theologian came from the tribe of Benjamin, an indigenous theologian. He knew his story well. He was trained in this understanding of this story. We know him as Paul. And he said in Colossians about Jesus, and I think it summarizes this dilemma of whether Jesus believed in land rights or not okay I think I've answered the question for you now but over there in Colossians 1:15, he says look we look at the Sun and see the God who cannot be seen inside the beginning we look at the Sun and see God's original purpose and everything created 
Is this the way you see Jesus? For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence, inside the beginning. And holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organises and holds it together, like a head does to the body. He was supreme in the beginning, and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. <laughs> From the beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe People and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time you all had your backs turned to God. You know, we weren't walking backwards into the future. Turned our backs. Thinking rebellious thoughts of him. Giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust. Constantly tuned in to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. <laughs> Inside the beginning, Jesus was there. Inside our struggles today, Jesus is still here. Land rights back then, well, he's actually restoring the whole Mormon universe together. So, yes. He is the greatest fighter for land rights that we've ever known. And this ancient, old, indigenous theologian summarised it so well in this particular passage of scripture. I rest my case. <laughs> Any questions? That's the Ray authorised one. <laughs> <laughs> That's called the message. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, the, the beauty of today is that we can get so many different translations. It's like that, you know, this is a good joint thing. <laughs> um, you've got to look at a whole different range of languages to get a really good grasp of what the Bible is saying. Or you can go back into the original and study Hebrew and, and get it from there as well. But even then we've got to realize that the, one of the major problems of Christianity is language. We're speaking a foreign language here as Aboriginal people. English is foreign to us. <laughs> is Brother 
the road, why I, I just said preacher brother is because I've been held, I've been held bound up for the last 40 years hmm. in the, evan the evangelical church about, hmm. you know, the four spiritual laws and I've got a ticket to go to heaven and I can hmm. live my life any way I want to and I don't have to worry about, you know, what's happened to this country or the origin origins of this country and I've been set free and I just want you to hmm. keep speaking it in <laughs> every place you can because we preacher need sister. To we yeah. need to be set free from it. Yeah. Because that's why that's why the churches are so limp and that's yeah. why they're losing all their people yeah. today because yeah. they're not preaching the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So please keep speaking it out wherever you are. I'll give it a go, sis. <laughs> <laughs> Just on that, uh, it's interesting to read the history of the church and Augustine, St. Augustine and then the Irish church. The Irish church's conception of Christianity and of us was based on the image of God being stronger than sin. And they just had a big argument. It's just interesting to see the background and to wonder how life would have been different if, <laughs> if Augustine hadn't won against Pelagius at that time. But it's really massive, the, the difference in theology. It's really good to read about. No more? Oh, wow. This is really good. Yes, brother. I have a question about, uh, yeah, just later on, what, what should we do about this? I was going to say, I have no idea. Um, the, the, the thing I'll put back on to you is after you've heard this kind of information, what what would you now want to do or how are you going to take on this information, this knowledge and work it through in your own personal lives and then work out how you do that uh, through the whole economic system that we've got here, uh, economic and political system as well as the spiritual system which we call the church. As you can see for us as indigenous peoples who've been marginalised in the church, we have a huge big challenge ahead of us. And we're looking for those people inside the churches who can support us. So if you become the bishop of, of uh, or the primate of Australia one day, <laughs> we'd like to come and have a talk to you. <laughs> I think one of the things that the Uniting Church is doing, which we mentioned the other day, is that they've gone on this covenanting process. And uh, it's got its challenges, but at least it's a starting point. And they're trying to figure out themselves whether they do because all of their churches, as we've reminded them, is on stolen land. And if they're going to be Christian, they have to respond appropriately. It's a crime scene. What are we going to do? You've committed a crime against someone else. Therefore, you have to look at how you're going to uh, work through that particular process. And uh, I mean, the Mabo decision also realized that it was a crime scene and they compensated through the ILC. And I think through the IBA, I'm not quite sure, but the ILC came to, came to fall. But we've got so many other layers within our own communities. We've got the ILC, Indigenous Land Corporation, then we've got land councils, then we've got land councils within land councils within land councils. And so we've got all of these kind of challenges there that's all been imposed on us. And we haven't been able to free ourselves from that yet. We're not like the Native Americans or the Canadians or the Maoris who've all got treaties that they can go back to in this country. We're still under the, the rule of Terra Nullius. 
and we're still trying to figure out how we go forward in that. So support us in our endeavour to find a, a meaningful treaty, which includes we the people. <laughs> and when we say we the people, we're not excluding you, we're including you. What the Spirit has been saying to me this morning is, get informed, Pam. Go and study and go and learn about the history of your country and the history of your peoples. And then when I'm having coffee with someone, anyone, when I'm talking, because that's my greatest um, ability in life, is to just engage with people. <laughs> speak from information, not from the top of your head. Yep. Speak from your heart and speak from what you really understand has happened. Mm. And then you can spread the word that way if you're a disempowered person, like I am, just Mrs. Average in the street. Then you can, then we can, even just standing at the Olgas, I was talking to someone and got into an argument about the first peoples of this country. So, you know, I had an opportunity, but I didn't know what I was talking about. But I need to find, know what I'm talking about. And I think for us white people, we need to go and get educated about mm. and understand it. Yeah, we, we, we will find, I mean, uh, uh, the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. A leader will emerge amongst us. For the African-American community, you know, they had a number of good leaders there. Um, not only uh, uh, Martin Luther King, but also Malcolm X and others who emerged out of the, the pain and the struggles of the people were able to articulate it and able to lead the people into a brighter future. If there's one other thing I'd like to just finish with here too, and that is, you know, in terms of the story of Jesus going back inside the beginning, that Jesus come to establish or re-establish really the kingdom of God. And get this now, the kingdom of God isn't for Christians. It's also for Muslims. It's also for Buddhists. Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people, racists and non-racists. Non the kingdom embraces all because he created the whole bloomin' lot with all of its foibles, with all of its problems and struggles. And as the old spiritual says, he's got the whole world at his hands. He hasn't let go of the reins. Even the atheists are a part of God's kingdom and we could never reduce the kingdom down to our local church and say that God mm. isn't, you know, this is the kingdom of God. It is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is much more bigger and broader than that. It embraces everyone and everything on this planet. This is his kingdom. And that's what he came to reestablish as a babe in Bethlehem. And so we've got to change the ways in which we think about God and stop reducing it down from a Genesis 3 theology to a Bereshit Elohim. In the beginning, God, inside the beginning. Two more than I'll have to close. We're forgetting that Webber is the only one. If you say God hmm. and church in your culture, hmm. but we say Tukurba. Because Tukurba, a lot of people are forgetting about Yeah. This yeah. is where some of us are now trying to get back into yeah. it. To find the way, go backwards, look at yeah. the things. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Now we, we are trying to find that. Yeah. A lot of people, because of royalties and the land councils, have stuffed us. 
So I blame the land council because they from every different mm. nationality or mm. something. They yeah. dare to want us to fight, fight, fight. Yeah. And this old fault. And this old fellow here is just telling us here that that old Aboriginal way of doing things. We've got to learn yeah. to turn ourselves, walk backwards into the future. Because yeah. that's where our everything comes from. Chukul yeah. by the lot. Because churches are, some churches are involved in that. Hmm. They want to try and get it. Oh, you be on our side. You be on our side. No. You be who you are. If you're a creator <laughs> and a custodian of those areas. Mm. Don't go this way, stealing that way, because you're going to get yourself in trouble. Mm. Now people are in trouble because of those people coming and cause all that. Yeah. Thank you. I think that the system, the government, has created that environment for our own people fighting each other. Because it's all about Yeah. Yeah. That's all it's about. That's why I say, said to you in that Mabo discussions around, around sovereignty, when that old lady put up a hand and said, well, what about my pension? It just took the conversation straight into the market economy. And we haven't even had a discussion around the market economy versus our old economy, which is much more of an open economy. And how does all of that work out? Anyways, one last thought and then I'll close. Um, going back to what I was talking about yesterday and prayer. Prayer is so powerful. Hmm. You know, like a lot of our Aboriginal people, those that have gone before us, those that have faith, like I, I believe we're here where we are because of their prayer, hmm. because of, of, of you know, certain missionaries that. Yeah. Mm. 
Let me close off then. And thank you for attending. I hope you've got something out of our studies over the last three days. <laughs> I've got a few more grey hairs. <laughs> but I'm also wanting to go back and just uh, work on, on this particular thing. We've only, you know, it's only an hour thing. But I just want to point us back to the, our first ever reading here. Just remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, they will explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. Take that word inheritance. God's given you inheritance. Live it out and pass it on to the next generation. The Lord's bless you. The Lord keep you. May the Lord keep his face to make his face shine upon you and give you blessings that you have never seen before. In Jesus' name, amen. This was one of many conversations recorded live at Surrender 16. We hope you found this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. Please check in with us at surrender.org.au for more resources and opportunities to engage and connect with our wider movement.